Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket, a podcast brought to you by Log Rocket. My name is Paul, and joined with us is Tyson Troutman, VP of Engineering over at Fauna. With experience drawn from his time in the gaming industry over at Riot Games to tech giants like AWS and Microsoft, Tyson has definitely been around the block before coming to push serverless database technology to the next level. Welcome to the podcast, Tyson. Thank you, Paul. Super excited to be here. Before we hop into the details really quickly, if you search up Fauna, people say it's Postgres, but it's also not. And I feel like we we hop into this conversation about is it a SQL or no SQL database? So where does Fauna sit in that spectrum? And why is it like ambiguous from what people might see on initial Google search? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I'd say, first of all, there are a lot of different dimensions you can think about when you're trying to categorize the database market. Apart from those dimensions, the way we like to think about Fauna is if you described all of the attributes that you would want out of a modern transactional database, we think Fauna really checks a lot of those boxes and is really purpose-built for modern application development. You know, I guess more technically, just to think across some of those dimensions, Fauna store the data model fundamentally is um, documents, but Fauna supports relationships across documents. It supports a lot of these kind of foundational relational concepts in the relational calculus. So you can do things like joins across types defined in documents. And there are also other fundamental properties that people associate with relational databases like uh, strong asset guarantees that, that Fauna also provides. So We've used the moniker uh, document relational in the past, you know, trying to convey that it brings together a little bit of the best of those uh, those worlds. But, you know, really, fundamentally, it is a different type of database. So it can be a little hard to hard to describe concisely. I, I think that's a really cathartic answer to hear is it's like a fundamentally different type of database because it hurts my brain to put it in one of those buckets when I'm trying. Well, I'm going through the feature list and there's a blog post that you guys have about modernizing from PostgreSQL into Fauna and what that might look like. And there's a list about here's what's different. Here's what the same. And there's some things that are the same. and There's some things that are different. So fundamentally, we're talking about a different type of database. And I really like that. And you talked about how this sort of got born out of a need for like, we want to make sure we're having the right features such as asset compliance. You talked about the vectors of dimension of how we're looking at databases. Is this what motivated you and the team to create Fauna? We want this to be developer oriented versus data model oriented for our vectors of creation. I think it could be a little easy to get lost in like the technical nerdery. There's a lot, you're solving problems on the cutting edge of distributed systems, but none of that really matters at all if you're not solving real problems that developers have. So we very much try to ground what we're building in how it makes life better for developers. Bono was actually born, the two co-founders, Evan Weaver and Matt Friels, were technical leaders at Twitter in the early days, and they felt this kind of need for a new transactional database, and they set out to build uh, the thing that they wanted at Twitter. And then stumbled upon this Calvin research paper that came out of Yale, written by Daniel Boddy as a Fauna advisor and some other folks that was an interesting spin on how to do distributed consensus. And like we were saying, could tie that back to these interesting properties, you know, that really made life better for developers. And that was kind of the, the genesis of Fauna. Now, you mentioned a transactional database, Tyson. Could you tell us a little bit about what that means, why it's important, and Maybe is there like an example of something out there that people reach for on a daily basis that at its core is not transactional, where that might not be at the forefront of your concerns, just so we can have an example to compare against? So the typical kind of highest level way to segment the database market is 
you have transactional databases or OLTP databases and analytical databases or OLAP databases. It's not binary. There's a blurry line between the two and you can, a lot of databases will support analytical workloads on top of a transactional database. So it's not like you hit this threshold and all of a sudden you move from one type to another cleanly. Um, but really the hallmarks of a transactional database are a database that kind of backs an application where that application is going to be doing frequent reads and writes to the database. Typically, also, there's a built-in requirement there of kind of low latency. So if you think about things like a customer metadata store, which is how a lot of customers use Fauna today, or even just things like tracking like a shopping cart across a session, a lot of these things will happen using a transactional database. Whereas an analytical database is something where typically you're going to write a lot of data. So potentially a lot of writes that can be batched, latency is less of a big deal. And then periodically, you're going to issue these analytical queries that are very expensive take a lot of time to run and then show you a result at the end of that. That's kind of the, the two different types of workloads. So you mentioned customer metadata is like a common use case here. Why do you think that settled naturally with Fauna serving that market so well? When I say customer metadata, what I mean is for all these different applications, you have a customer, the first thing they usually do is something like create an account. And then you store this kind of data about the customer specifically, the core data that you're supporting for the application. Or I'll use the a video game example because that was a world I spent some time in. But in the video game world, you might have a database where you store player data. So things like entitlements. And I'll use League of Legends, the game I worked on, but you might have purchased specific skins, for example, that you can access in the game or in-game content. And that's all kind of player data. Metadata is more like the high-level attributes associated with that that specific person that created the account. I guess why that works so well in Fauna, I think there are a few reasons. So the first is that data is a document formats are conducive to that data because you don't always want to enforce rigid schema and all that data landing at a specific point in time. You might want to add metadata as you go. Oftentimes you have relationships between metadata. A player might have friends. And so this built-in like first-class support for relationships between entity types or documents in Fauna is really powerful in this context. Another one is when you're storing data, if you're building a global application, you typically have things like compliance that you need to think about in terms of where that data actually resides. And Fauna has a really compelling model there where we replicate data across regions, but we do that within a specific geographic footprint. So if you need to make sure your European player data stays in specific EU countries for GDPR compliance, we have a great story there that really takes that lift out of the application and we handle the heavy lifting there for you. So it sounds like you're able to distribute data around the globe and that's like another hallmark about Fauna. You can take your data and I don't have to think about it as a developer. I can just tell it to go somewhere and it ends up there. At, if you don't tell it to go somewhere, is Fauna also sort of like expressing these flavors of the edge services that are coming out where no matter what the data is already replicated in several geographical locations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the kind of, I think, foundational properties of Fauna is it is a, it is multi-region by default. So we replicate data across regions in what we call a region group. And we do that with the highest possible level of consistency guarantee. So we offer strict serializability for transactions, which basically means you don't have to think about these weird edge cases around consistency in your application, right? That can be very difficult to reason about, very expensive to build at the application layer. When you actually 
spin up a database in Fauna, you do that within what we call a region group, which kind of defines the footprint where that data lives. So we have a few different public region groups in the US and EU. And then we also have this concept of what we call virtual private fauna or VPF, where you know enterprise customers can come to us and say, um, we actually want this specific footprint across these cloud providers. And we want very strong isolation, right? VM level isolation while retaining that serverless abstraction. So we don't want to manage the infrastructure. We want to stay serverless, but we want strong isolation and a very customized footprint. We can do that as well. So you define which one of those region groups a database lives in. And then when you send us data, that data has a key, that transaction that you send us has a key associated with it. We've invested very deeply in our routing infrastructure and basically have a really compelling story there for the way that request gets routed all the way from the application, which could be at the edge and a client and IoT device. We will ingress at the closest top or CDN, use optimized backbone from there to get to the closest node in that region group, which has some pretty huge performance implications as well. So it's pretty, it's uh, it's cool stuff. Anytime a developer wants to interact with the database, whether it be for their front end, the back end, whatever, like the, there's always those hallmark, those blue chip databases you'll reach for, like the Postgres and the Mongo. And there's so much documentation. The Fauna docs are incredible and they're like visually beautiful as well. So you should read those if you, if you want to figure things out. But there's no denying there's your blue chip databases. And if somebody were to come and want to build something with Fauna specifically, they're it sounds like the team has put in a lot of energy, as you said, into your routing infrastructure, the way you distribute data around the globe. Would you almost argue that being a customer, being a user of Fauna, you're buying into an infrastructure ecosystem more than a database product? So maybe to step back just a little bit on that, like fundamentally what we want to do is make it so that our customers can worry about their application and that's it, right? No one ever set out to build an app and said, Hey, you know, along the way, I want to solve all these hard database problems. I want to think about managing stuff that's non-differentiated. You know, I want to deal with all the concerns associated with that. What we hear from universally from all of our customers is make me faster. Let me, you know, think about less, put less cognitive load on, on our engineers so we can really go and innovate the business. And so everything that we've done at Fauna is kind of in service of that. To connect that to the database market broadly, there are a few of these different kinds of dimensions that you can think about when evaluating database offerings. For example, are they single region or multi-region, right? Or are they uh, consistent or do they have some kind of an eventual consistency model? Are they serverless or do they require infrastructure management? The interesting thing about those different dimensions is that depending on where a database falls on that spectrum, they can make your app more performance, quicker to evolve to meet your customer needs. And that's really kind of what we, where we spend a lot of time thinking with a relative to those competitors. And we think about what features we prioritize building in the database. Because it almost feels like sometimes when a new database comes out, DuckDB, for example, they're like, listen, we have this like whole new way of fundamentally like storing things. And there are fundamental differences with Funnel. And we're talking about the document model and how you're building in all these relations and all that. But the lion's share of, of features and why it'll speed up my application feels like it's in this global monstrosity that you guys have built. I don't, I, I don't want to use that word because it's a beautiful monstrosity, but in an amazing way to sh- appreciate, appreciate the clarification to ship and bring data around the world in a really quick way. It's, it's almost less of like a how do we store data because we have so much space available to us and how do we like access the data 
and and pull it out. I know it's both ends of the spectrum, but hey, you're making a great point, which is this is a very crowded space. There's a lot of different database products that are competing for attention. I think as a developer, it can be really hard to sift through where do I start? What matters in my application? And it's you know, to me, again, you have to start thinking about everything from the application requirements, right? What kind of performance do I need? What kind of consistency profile do I need, right? Is it important that my app not see stale data, right? Which you know, it is critical in a lot of different contexts. What is the developer experience that I want as I'm building this app to make sure I can move quickly and outrun my competitors? How does that, how does that relate to infrastructure? And so those are the things to think about. And then I think take that and try to cut through some of the noise in the space and just apply in a somewhat principled way the different offerings that are out there to try to make a decision. Tyson, if we could double click on some of the things that you guys are offering in your ecosystem, one of them is logs. So the way that serverless products ship, store, and manage logs is different for you know every backend or SaaS that you might interact with. What makes Fauna Log special? Why do you think that it helps empower teams beyond what some other database or serverless databases might offer? First off, a lot of our competitors in the serverless space or other offerings that are out there in the serverless space, what they offer in their serverless offering specifically is very limited if you go to look at it. And then part of that's partially because a lot of these products are coming from an on-prem world, trying to build some orchestration around something that was an on-prem product and then make that serverless, which is a fundamentally different approach than what we're doing at Fauna. We set out to build uh, this database really from the ground up to be cloud native, to be serverless. Well, I think what you see out there in quote-unquote serverless database is a very whitewashed term. I think it gets used a lot of different ways is varying degrees of support when it comes not just to logs, but observability in general. Fauna logs, which is a feature we shipped recently, we, we followed kind of a principle that we have. We have our core principles at Fauna. One of them is solve for the customer. That's kind of number one. And so what we try to do early on in our future lifecycle a lot of times is launch something that unlocks customer value Customers can start using that thing, and then we can evolve that feature based on customer input. So we're not just building in a vacuum. We're really building what our customers are telling us that they need. And so with logs, what we've launched today is the ability to go in and mint these account keys on your account that you can use to access these different control plane APIs for things like um, logs, backup and restore, other functionality coming down the road. And so at any point in time, you can get in and either manually, like using our CLI or other tools that are out there, just sending an HTTP request, you can download a slice of your query logs or for a specific time window, or we have some documentation out there that lets you wire this up to your observability tool. You know, if you're, if you're running an elk stack, I think there are different options here for like where you're ingesting those logs into. Part of that's because we don't want to go in and like re-implement uh, an observability tool, and there are plenty of players in that space. It's a very hard problem to solve. And so what we've prioritized instead is building flexible ways to get that data and then pipe it into the tools where you where you want to consume it. I just want to remind our listeners that this podcast is brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try LogRocket for free at LogRocket.com today. I mean, that should be a hallmark of like a team that really knows what they're doing. The fact that you're plugging into systems versus reinventing the wheel is huge. The more systems you try to integrate with, because then you need custom, custom this is and that's is at every layer where you want to touch the log. So you can integrate it into any of your existing observability platforms. 
So the, the logs themselves, no, we have some things in the works there today. To be honest, most of our customers have their observability stack they're using for their application. What they want is not another place to go and look up logs and metrics. They want a way to integrate that with their, their existing tools. So that's what we prioritized. Curious what you think, Tyson, your general user base for Fauna right now is. Our existing customers run the gamut, right? From hobbyists, early stage startups, especially very forward thinking startups, they're all in on serverless and these kind of modern application architectures. But we also have customers like HR Block, Unilever, Santander, a bunch of larger enterprises that are using the product as well. Really the interesting thing is they kind of they tend to pick Fauna for different reasons. Because your architecture impacts some of the benefits that you get from the database. Five or 10 years ago, all applications were being built using this more traditional three-tier architecture where you have an app server running in region with your database and then your front end and so your application um, is just sending requests to that app server. Today, you see these kind of more modern application architectures where logic is just pushed to the client, whether that's running on my mobile phone or it's running on an IoT device or desktop, whatever. And that client is just making direct requests to different APIs. This has been the case for a long time in different segments that have been where APIs have won. If you think about products like Stripe and Twilio and these types of world-class products. In infrastructure, it's a new thing. So the fact that you can treat a database as an API, which is really kind of the highest level of serverless, that put everything behind this API that's a contract between me and you and don't worry about it, that's huge. And then you also get the performance wins where... Without you having to think about it, we are, we're automatically routing that request optimally, right? So if you're in Seattle, where I'm sitting right now, instead of that request going to Virginia, where my single instance Postgres database sits, I'm doing a, a round trip there, which takes hundreds of milliseconds. Then maybe I even do some processing on the client because my business logic runs in the client. I do another request, right? All of a sudden, you're talking about hundreds or of milliseconds or even seconds. Fauna will automatically direct that request to Portland, the US West, the one at US West 2. And you're talking about suddenly like a 10 millisecond round trip time, right? Much faster. And then because the application model is very flexible, you can essentially push that business logic to run on top of your data. Suddenly in these scenarios, you're talking about a single 10 millisecond request versus multiple triple digit millisecond requests. And that's a big deal for modern applications that have to be fast, responsive, the demands of these applications, I think is more uh, intensive than, uh, than ever in, in many domains. And do you feel like Fauna is really coming in to help online processing real-time applications? And when I think of an online real-time application, I think of like an enterprise app or like a chat application or yeah, something with those like big data needs, which would make me think that you have a lot of enterprise customers and Maybe that's why you don't have as much need for a UI because people who are dealing with infrastructure, they're like, I mean, for Terraform, I don't, I don't know of a lot of Terraform UIs out there. They're out there. Yeah, they exist. But it's, it's, not, it's not native. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, what we see is maybe for the, even the enterprises that are adopting us, like a lot of times it's a product team that's very forward thinking or maybe the de initial developments coming out of that innovation center at those enterprises that's looking at new technologies. How do we modernize our application stack? How do we move faster? Because every company wants to do more with less. No company wants to sit there managing infrastructure that we talked about earlier. For us, I'd say we do see a wide, a broad adoption that, that kind of spans the gamut of those companies, which is exciting. It's fun to, to work with all of those classes of, of companies. So for 2023, for the next two quarters, 
What can you share with us right now that the team is working on? Yeah, so the by far, I think the most exciting project that we have going on internally is a rethink of uh, the Fauna Cori language, which is the language that we expose for interacting with your data. And so we've actually, just this week, we went beta, public, we, we opened up a public beta of that brand new language, which is, we spent a lot of time thinking about years working closely with our existing customers. We dog food our own product as well. We use Fauna internally for a bunch of different things. So taking all that knowledge together, working with researchers who were involved in building modern languages like TypeScript and putting that together into this new language that we're calling FQLX, deeply inspired by both TypeScript and GraphQL, fundamentally a very TypeScript-like a syntax that'll feel familiar to front-end developers and then abilities to do things like projections, like GraphQL-style projections. But that's the thing I'm by far and away the most excited about. The language to me looks and feels awesome. Very ergonomically pleasing, very powerful. Early feedback has been has been pretty fantastic on it. You're going to see more there that we're working on. We're thinking, you know, continuing to build on concepts like optional schema for your data. So a lot of projects, when they first start, you want your data is very flexible. You want to be able to iterate quickly and change your data model. But at some scale, as an application matures, you want to be able to make certain guarantees about your data and the shape of that data. And that's an area where a lot of document databases have punted previously. We have this notion of schema. We're working on giving developers more control to define and then enforce schema on documents as well. So a lot of other exciting stuff coming down, coming down the pipe as well. But those are the two things that I'm the most excited about. And for anybody listening, they might hear Fauna query language and think, oh, like this sounded cool, but now I need to learn another query language. And I know when I was reading about it, it's like there's lots of powerful things you can do with FQL. But the coolest thing is you don't need to use that, right? We do support an out-of-the-box GraphQL endpoint today. This is, again, something we've, we've thought about very deeply before setting down this road to, to build a, a new version of our query language. General purpose programming languages, JavaScript, TypeScript, are not specifically built to, to work with data. They're built to be general purpose. They're not built to be, we use terms like DQL, DML, for these flavors of like data languages. That's not what they're built to do. So no matter what, you'll see a lot of vendors talk about things like, hey, don't learn any QL, just use .script, whatever it is. No matter what, when you're accessing data, you're going to be using some kind of a query language. That query language may be defined in what's called an embedded DSL, where it's a library that ships, where you have to learn this library and what it looks like when it borrows semantics from the host language. But it's still, no matter what, it's a, la it's a language. It's a DSL that's usually somewhat tightly coupled to the underlying data model in the database. So could we think like Prisma and the way I query Prisma? Like it's its own... I should say... And Prisma is obviously very cool. We have a lot of customers coming in and talking about Prisma support and Fauna, which is something that is on our roadmap a little bit less clear how you map uh, ORMs to a document database where we're already storing data as objects. But it's definitely a very compelling technology that people are excited about. So I think that the more general question becomes like, what is the most natural way to let developers interact with their data, given the, this kind of underlying data model? And for us, the prior version of FQL was actually implemented as an embedded DSL where we ship this as libraries in different languages. We've actually gone away from that to something that is a pure DSL where that has its own syntax. We'll have things like language server support and deep integration in IDEs so you get all that goodness, IntelliSense, and things that you're, you're, you're used to. 
for a first class developer experience. It's portable. You can take it different. You can rent a query. You can take it different places. And again, feels very familiar to front end developers in this world, very natural in terms of the shape of the language. When you're designing this DSL, do you feel like you and the team have arrived at some realizations about maybe something that was an assumption or an oversight in the original design, say, of Postgres SQL DSL or MongoDB SQL that you were like, we want to address this issue and we kind of didn't realize it was going to be an issue, but now we see it and we're going to like build it into a feature full, what is it now, a FQLX in the, in the next version. We obviously we spent a lot of time looking at other query languages. Mongo's MQL is implemented as an embedded DSL where they ship drivers in these different languages. And like we talked about earlier, the expression of that is in these drivers. One thing that we spent a lot of time thinking about sort of relative to you know other players in the space like Mongo is how to naturally express relationships across entity types defined in documents. And so FQLX has this awesome just dot chaining syntax where you know, you you can I can say person dot address dot whatever, and basically you're effectively doing this kind of implicit join, not creating a single entity type, but you're navigating across entities based on these relationships in a way that just feels so natural for how we're used to doing this in like modern programming languages. And so that's an area we invested pretty deeply in. SQL is a whole different ball of wax. SQL is a programming language that obviously has been around for 50 years now, 50-ish, something like that. It was initially built for these analytical use cases where you had humans querying a database. And then a lot of functionality evolved from there. That's not how transactional databases work today. It's an application talking to your database to get your data. And so in practice, what you have for all these SQL databases is they're using ORMs, on top of SQL, and so because you have this kind of object relational, what they call object relational impotence mismatch, um, where the developer speaks in terms of objects, but the database speaks in terms of tables. And so you have to translate that somehow, which sounds good until you start going down that trail. But in practice, what happens is you end up with performance issues, then you're trying to debug, okay, how is the ORM translating my query to SQL? Then how is the SQL optimizer deciding to execute my query? And it's this whole rabbit trail where I think it can be a huge gotcha in terms of application performance at real scale. Whereas with Fauna, there's no translation. You're speaking in terms of objects all the way through. And most of how you're defining queries, I'd say, especially in FQLX, declarative versus imperative is not a binary thing, but you're defining your, your query in a somewhat imperative way where it has predictable performance as well. So big win for your application as it scales. And if there's any developers out there who maybe use an existing database, let's think of a relational use case. Like you're making your next big million dollar app and you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, wow, that all of this sounds cool. Like region replication sounds cool. The database is a service, serverless sounds cool. If we want to think about less on the service side and more on how we're storing data and the way we're evolving our data over time, what would you tell that developer to pique their interest? and maybe advertise the possibilities for their engineering scope in their application. Yeah, I I guess I would just say, if what you want is to focus on your application and build as fast as you can, presumably you're building a niche for your competitors that are going to come along and and speed is going to be of the essence. But then I think you are well served by looking at a database that in the near term takes as as many of those concerns away from you as possible so you can innovate quickly but in the long term, it was also proven to scale. So you're not going to end up in a situation where 
you know, all of a sudden you're running on single instance Postgres and you realize that your app has scaled way beyond that. And then you have to think about things like a big data migration. And yeah, I'm clearly biased, but I think Fauna provides a very unique value proposition on both of those dimensions. Get started quickly, create an account, start playing around in our free tier. And we have a generous free tier that then gets you into progressive pricing as you, as you scale and take advantage of all those capabilities. Don't think about infrastructure. Don't think about patching, scaling, just focus on your app and then know that we're going to be there for you as well as the application scales down the road. Cause it, it has, you know, we've already proven that out with, with large enterprises. And it seems like that's one of the big things that's at least exciting me as a developer myself is the capabilities. Like with FQL, if I can think about my data models in a more native way that's not translated through an RM, maybe I can think of ways to speed up the app that I like maybe never would have thought of. Absolutely. Yeah. I spend so much time thinking about what foreign keys are going to relate to which ones and do I want to pull all this data? When do I not want to? So this is very exciting. Not needing to understand access patterns for your application up front is a huge deal, right? Because if you look at, say, Dynamo, for example, and you look at all of these different patterns that emerge, like single table design, at the end of the day, they're all hacks. For working around some of the limitations that are out there with Dynamo, I say that as someone who used to work at AWS and has built a lot of this stuff on Dynamo, you know, great database for specific use cases, but you really have to understand how that data is going to be accessed and then optimize for that. And then it's hard when you go to build feature number two, feature number three, that can be tricky. I think Fauna, is with Fauna, you can do things like start, build quickly, and then know that we're going to support the access patterns that you require as your application uh, evolves and as you go to build that second and third feature. Awesome. Well, Tyson, thank you for your time coming on and getting to riff a little bit about databases. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's my pleasure.